0: Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts podcast, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience, with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. Uh, you may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, healers, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy, and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or a personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalan Johnson. Uh, I'm not a therapist. I have no background in therapy or psychology. I mean, Um, I'm literally no one special. Uh, I just decided one day I wanted more and I wanted to heal the things that I was hiding. And I started my journey. So what you're seeing now is a byproduct of that decision. And I hope that um, it's helpful to anyone who's interested. Or who may have the same desire my guest today is uh lori holland neslin and lori is a holistic therapist who specializes in reducing stress fast lori is the developer of the feel better fast technique which is trademarked Uh, she is licensed trained and certified certified in a wide range of mind body techniques including neuro emotional technique and cognitive behavioral therapy and yoga. So Laurie, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. It's nice (laughs) to be here.
0: Thank you so much for being my guest. Um, I'm happy to have you and that you agreed to do this with me. And um, what I want to do is to allow for everyone to get a chance to know a little bit about you. Um, So would you mind giving us a little bit of background about yourself, maybe telling us how you became a therapist or, or, you know, what your journey was to get to this point?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Minnesota and I um, just as I was finishing my bachelor's degree, I had taken a volunteer trip to Kenya, Africa, Mm. and I was there for a month and fell in love with the children. I came back to the States feeling like, oh, I know what I want to do with my life. And I think as a, you know, new college grad, I think, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I came back with a sense of purpose in my heart that I really wanted to advocate for vulnerable children, not just in Africa, but around the world. So I, two weeks after that trip, I was diagnosed with cancer. I was diagnosed with melanoma and for a duration of time after the diagnosis, not knowing what stage the cancer was in, it was, I felt all the emotions. I felt initially the shock and the denial. Then I felt the fear and the dread of, you know, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my health? What's going to happen to my family? Am I going to die? You know, all those, those fears that run through your mind when you hear a really scary diagnosis. Sure. And during that time, I, what I noticed I, I was doing, I was number one, acknowledging all the feelings that I was feeling. And number two, what I was also practicing at that time is just being surrounded in nature. I live close to a lake. I would walk to the lake every day and journal and cry and pray and just try to you know process what I was experiencing. And I came across this book that was talking about the power of gratitude. And being grateful for everything, not just the good things that are happening in your life, but for everything. And it was really kind of helping people get to a place of surrender of even the most life-challenging things in in your life. And so when I first read this book, there was a part of me that was very angry because I was like, how dare you even have the audacity to invite me to be grateful for this cancer? You know, and yet there was a part of me too, that was just really drawn to whatever that was that I was untouchable. So I started practicing that. I started practicing just being grateful for everything, looking for things to be grateful for, as well as being grateful for whatever was gonna come from this experience of cancer. I I started to believe that there's something greater than myself that was in the best interest of everyone involved that this cancer was, having this experience meant something more than just this big scary thing. What resulted was extreme peace, like peace that I've never even fathomed existed before. And so my mind was just so perplexed, like how is it that I can experience something so scary and so unknown and so uncertain and yet have this tremendous unexplainable peace. So what I began to experience the young age of in my early twenties, I started to experience the mind body connection. I never heard about the mind body connection at that time, I never heard about psychoneuroimmunology or none of that. That was just not even on my radar, but it was becoming on my radar by my experience. And so what I found was that with that experience, it created such a hunger and thirst in my spirit to learn as much as I could about the mind, about the body and about the spirit and how connected they are because I was feeling the connection. I was like, these are not separate. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. There's a connection here. And I wanted to learn as much as I could about that. Two or three weeks after my cancer diagnosis, I had a really large lump that appeared on the left side of my temple. It's just this large lump. And I went to the doctor, the doctors were freaking out. I ended up blacking out in the doctor's office, because it was just so much for me to take in because the doctor was like, you see, you know, you were just recently diagnosed with cancer. This might be a tumor. We're going to have to do surgery. You're going to lose this. This is going to happen. This is the other bad thing that's going to happen. And I was like, oh, my God, this is way too much. Wow. So I felt all the fear come back and went back to the lake, cried, prayed, journaled, started practicing the gratitude again, and the peace came back even stronger. So there's, I mean, I could we could do a whole podcast and just that experience. But <laughs> basically, that was the start of my journey where I am today, you know, over 20 years later, because when I finished my undergrad and and got back from my first trip to Kenya, if someone were to ask me if I wanted to be a therapist, I was like, no, that's not, that wasn't on my radar either. Um, But it was just a lot of these different experiences. One that led to the other led to the other um, that Brought me to where I am now. And I would say that I'm not a traditional therapist. I'm kind of an outside of the box practitioner. um, That really my heart is really to bring to bring healing to people, Um, not just emotional healing, but physical healing as well, because they are so intertwined. Um, So that was the start of it. And then after that, I I wanted to learn more about the body. So I became a personal trainer and then I worked in a group home with teenage addicts and I you know, was working as a counselor and um, discovered I really enjoyed counseling. So then I went on to get my master's degree. I started a PhD program at one point and I dropped out of that program because it wasn't really aligned with my values. There's a whole long backstory to where I am today, but um, basically, in a nutshell, that's how it all started.
0: Wow. That's quite a story, um, especially yeah. to what seemed like start your practice within yourself, because those moments when you, you know, you found that inner peace because you were connecting the mind and body. It it sounds like that's where it all started.
1: That's exactly where it all started. I never <laughs> would have guessed, <laughs> wow. you know, anytime during my my college, <clears throat> all the college courses and stuff that I took, I never I never thought that that was the track that I was heading, but that's how it all started.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. That was quite a story. Yeah, you're
1: welcome.
0: Um, Well, to kind of get started, do you mind if um, I just ask you a few questions about your practice now?
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Okay. Well, what is the feel better fast technique?
1: So the feel better fast technique is, is something I developed. <laughs> Initially it was, uh, it was kind of developed out of frustration. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory. So uh-huh. I had got advanced certification in a technique called neuro emotional technique, NET, which is one of the things you mentioned in the introduction. NET is, it's a powerhouse. It is one of the most powerful methodologies, techniques that I've ever studied. And I've studied a lot of different techniques. Um, I fell in love with that technique when I saw what it was doing for people in, for anxiety, for trauma, um, for physical symptomology, you know, all of that. Um, At that time, when I, when I had the certification and a bunch of training in that here, I had a really powerful tool in my hand, but the environment that I was working in, I was working in a school with a lot of kids, children, and adolescents who had a lot of really difficult things that they were carrying to school with them every day. They were, you know, in violent neighborhoods. They experienced a lot of trauma and grief, everything. So I had this powerful tool, but I couldn't use it in, in the school system, primarily because the way that the technique is, um, is designed is to part of it is to touch the client and it's just touching them like at the top of the wrist. It's nothing, you know, inappropriate or anything like that. (laughs) But when I was working in a school, that's, you can't do that. You can't, you know, touch the student, even on the wrist. So for a few years, I was like, okay, how can I get this into the schools? Do I need to create a nonprofit? Do I need to, um, Do I need to go to board meetings or, you know, all these different questions that I had about how do I get this specific technique into the schools to help these children? And I had a bunch of other tools in my toolbox as well, but I was like, I want to use the powerhouse. You know, I want to use a tool that I know like has a radical transformation for my adult clients. So what happened over the course of like a lot of resistance and a lot of red tape, I was like, okay, this is just not going to happen. But my spirit was, I had just have a fighting spirit because that what I shared with you earlier about wanting to advocate for kids, mm-hmm. it wasn't just the kids in Africa; it was the kids in my backyard that i was that I was counseling in the schools. I wanted to advocate for them, and I wanted them to receive the absolute best. so if I knew that there was a better tool out there to help them, I wanted to be able to use that When I discovered it just wasn't possible for me to use that The, the question changed in my mind to how do I get the same results as that technique and change it? How do I change the technique but get the same exact results? So I asked myself that question. The answer didn't come until one day out of the blue, 2017. It was the year 2017. I had a kid in crisis. He was, um, well, I, I shouldn't say he was in crisis. He would probably say he was in crisis. Um, he was just really having a lot of challenging difficult emotions and um i brought him back to my office and i put pieces that i knew was kind of the powerhouse of the technique of net i utilized that and and added some additional pieces just intuitively on the spot um I kind of blended a number of different techniques together to you know try to help this kid and it was significantly he was a totally different kid at the end of the session, like 10 minutes. And I was like, did that just happen? You know, and my brain was like, well, that was so simple. So it probably wasn't, that's probably not that technique that I just did right there was probably not the reason why he changed so significantly, but I, I couldn't not pay attention to that. So I tried it with another kid and another kid that I was counseling and another kid and another kid and another, I started tracking the data and I was like, Oh my God, this is actually, this is really, this is really changing them. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so that's the feel better fast technique is really, it's based in there's, there's different elements from Chinese medicine. I, I work with, uh, what's called the meridian access points. Um, mm. In a nutshell, it's it's basically helping to reduce emotional the emotional charge that we're carrying with us for days, for months, for years that um, that trigger us and that get in the way of us either feeling good or um, you know just showing up how we want to show up in the world.
0: I see, and the it's um, very fast, the meridian, and
1: very effective
0: meridian points. That's Similar to acupuncture, correct?
1: Yes, exactly. It's based in Chinese medicine, acupuncture. Yeah, oh, okay.
0: I recognize that when you said yeah. um, <clears> that. OK, so big question here. Um, how do you define trauma and what are some of the symptoms that you see? Associated with trauma.
1: how do I define trauma? That's a really good question. I don't know that I actually have a a strong definition of trauma. I I know that I think when someone comes to me and either discloses that they have trauma or they have any kind of difficulty, my number one thing that I'm trying to find is what is getting in the way of them feeling better, whether it was trauma or not. So let me go back to your question. (laughs) Generally, the general answer that I would give is a lasting emotional charge that's lingering in in the mind-body system based on something that was really stressful in the past. And it could have been yesterday. It could have been 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it could have been even when we were in our mother's womb. I mean, it can go that far back. Um, So they're, they're like emotional memories that have a charge on them whether it's considered trauma or not is actually not what I'm most interested in when I'm working with clients, because some of the things that we experience to outsiders might not be considered traumatic, but it might be creating a significant stress pattern that's in some ways could be crippling and debilitating for that person. So part of it is also our perception of how we how we perceive that event and it can create a really strong emotional reaction and it can stay with us for years. Even if we think, Oh, that was nothing. Even if our rational brain is like, Oh, that wasn't a big deal. I'll give you an example. It could be something as simple as a kindergartner starting school, making friends. He has a group of three friends that he hangs out with every time, every, you know, recess time on the playground. And these, one of the friends has a birthday party invites everyone except for this kid. When he grows older and he's an adult, he might look back at that event and be like, oh, that didn't bother me at all. That was, I mean, that's just, that wasn't a big deal. But then happy hour comes around and his, with his coworkers and they don't invite him. It might elicit that same feeling of feeling left out. Um, and it might be a repetitive thing that he experiences over and over again that can be um Like negatively impacting him. So, anyway, I don't want to divert too much. I want to go back to your question. And um, does that answer your question?
0: Oh, does that answer your question? I would have never thought to, um, you know, correlate those two experiences one from kindergarten and then another one where, you know, you're an adult and it's happy hour, you're not invited, but it's, it's the same feeling. And if, if that initial wound was there from the early, early um, childhood stage, then if it was never dealt with or never healed, it's going to be triggering no matter, no matter what, no matter when.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, I think sometimes what I've heard from, um, from different people that I'll give you an example. I know one of the, One of the reels that I posted on Instagram was talking about um, how, you know, oftentimes these unresolved emotions, I'm kind of really paraphrasing here, but how these unresolved emotions can um, perpetuate things that we don't want to be true, like turning to substances to numb that pain, which can then later turn into addiction. And, you know, when it comes to something like that topic of trauma, Coupled with addiction. Some of the comments that I get is, well, you know, so-and-so never experienced trauma. So I don't know why they are claiming that they they were, you know, experienced trauma. Or I don't know why they're trying to numb this pain. They had a good life. Mm. And so I think, again, it doesn't have to be like a life-threatening event to really negatively impact us emotionally. And some of the things that we experienced that left a really deep wound or even just a little bit of a wound can get in the way of us feeling our, our best in our adult life and can get in the way of relationships, work, everything. And so um, I really am mindful of not diminishing people's emotional experiences, whether it fits in the trauma box or not, I don't care. <laughs> what I care about is what are those experiences that have left a, a charge that's still active in, in your body and it's starting to impact, perhaps even impact some physical symptoms as well. Um, that's my number one thing is let let's discharge those so that you can feel better, and you can just experience more peace in your life.
0: I like that a lot. Um, the way you the way you explained it, especially the the charge, because emotion is energy, and when we think about it like that, if if there was something that um, caused the trauma, then there was a charge that was created, and until that charge is discharged, it's still going to be there. Because I've I've heard trauma as something or referred to as something that um anything that overwhelms your nervous system. So it, it doesn't have to be how we think um it should have have affected someone else. And it's it's not a competition either. So it's not, you know, well I had this trauma, so they shouldn't feel like they had anything in their life that was, you know, so traumatic because of what I went through. Um so I, I do really like that explanation.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, thanks for sharing that. Cause I think that really, um, that really goes along with what I just shared in terms of how it overwhelms the nervous system. And it, it's something that, you know, even we as adults, we can look back at our own personal experiences and our own childhoods. And sometimes we can poo poo those away. Like, Oh, our rational brain is like, Oh, that was nothing. But the m- emotional body is like, that was something and you can mm. rationalize it all away as much as you want to, but I'm still here and I'm going to keep coming up until you find a way to resolve me exactly. until you start paying attention to the emotion. Um, and that's one of the things I think that's <clears throat> a big reason why I really shied away from talk therapy because I was like, okay, I love that part of talk therapy where we can really kind of, Dissect things and and begin to have a better understanding of why we might behave the way that, that we do. But how do we actually feel better in our bodies? That was the thing that I was most interested in: is how do we actually change the inner chemistry to not just rationalize our back, our background, and our experiences, but to actually change how our bodies responding. To those memories,
0: that's a great. It's a big point. difference. Yeah, big difference. Big difference. Um, yeah. So, with with some of your clients, um, they you you know they may suffer from anxiety or PTSD, um, chronic pain, uh, self limiting beliefs. Um, or just stress in general? I mean, we all just went through the pandemic, so we all know what stress is. How, how, do, you, how do you help um, some of your clients who suffer with those things?
1: So the first thing that I do is um, I have an intake form that I ask a lot of very pointed questions about, you know, what are the specific things that they feel is not working in their life? Or that they want to improve, whether it's emotionally, relationships, physical health, career, whatever it is, I want to find out what's getting in the way. And then the other part of what I do with my clients is in addition to that, I will often give them a survey that assesses different physical symptoms that they're experiencing in their body that they might think is completely unrelated to the emotional stress that they might be experiencing or that they may have experienced in the past, but the two often go hand in hand. And so whether we focus on reducing the physical symptoms or we focus on, on healing the emotions, they actually help each other. So it doesn't matter where we start. When we start healing emotions, anxiety, nightmares from PTSD, um, chronic pain, whatever it is, it starts to improve their physical body as well. Nine times out of 10, it's pretty, pretty strong correlation. There are other factors, obviously, that can impact our physical body. But I think emotions are probably one of the most overlooked pieces of the puzzle that impact our our physical health. So when I'm working with a client, it's very custom tailored to what are those pain points. And then I have a certain methodology. I use the feel better fast technique primarily in working with my clients to help to heal those. And when I say help to heal those, it is actually pretty fast compared to most traditional ways. Um, The average, probably amount of time that I work with a client is like eight to 12 weeks on average versus, you know, one to two years or three years. Um, Mm -hmm. So And including, you know, PTSD symptoms. Um, So it's, of course, it's case by case, right? But um, this is the, so one of the ways that I describe the work that I do is I have this rock that I have in my office and I use this for an illustration. So imagine we are all carrying a backpack and in our backpack, we have a bunch of these rocks and some of them are bigger than this rock here and some of them are smaller. Some of us are carrying bricks in our backpack. Some of us are even carrying boulders, like huge, heavy, heavy, heavy boulders in our backpacks. Those are illustrative of the the emotions that that we are carrying that still have that charge. My number one goal is to take one of these out during multiple of these out during every single session, but one at a time multiple of these out of the backpack and actually change the physiology of the mind and the body, not just pull it out and be like, Oh, this is when this happened. This is how old I was. This is probably why it happened. This is why I'm still feeling this way. And then we put it back in the backpack. Mm-hmm. That's what we do in talk therapy. Oftentimes, not all the time, but most often we're, we're talking about it, but we're not actually getting rid of the heaviness. My goal is to take those difficult emotions out of the backpack and to keep them out of the backpack, to take weight off the mind and the body. So if during a session we actually remove a boulder out of the backpack, that is a significant amount of weight lifted from their mind and their body. Significant. Um, so in a nutshell, that's that's what I help people do is to, to literally take that, that emotional weight off their mind and their body.
0: That's pretty amazing, especially to do it in um, eight to 12 weeks, uh, because I know some people are in therapy for years um, and a good a good therapist will say my job is not to see you for an extended period of time. And if you you know, are continually seeing me and it's been a really long time, I'm not doing my job. I've heard that before. So for you to be able to do such significant work within you know a couple of months, I think that's pretty fantastic
1: it's phenomenal. It's, and it's, it's really, to me, even though I've been doing this for years, I am still mind blown sometimes. And I, like clients will show up and they'll tell me these like amazing radical things. And there's part of my brain that's like, of course that's happening. Cause I've seen this happen over and over again. And there's another part of my brain that's like, Oh my God, this is just so miraculous. Like I, it never gets old like seeing people being like really really set free and it almost brings tears to me because i'm like this is what i'm on the planet to do this right. is this is what i'm on the planet to do i'm on the planet to help people actually really heal
0: that's great
1: because here's the cool thing this is this is <laughs> the thing that lights me up the most when a person has the courage to begin to heal those painful experiences from their past. They're not only lightening their own load. They're not only light, you know, taking that weight off their own backpack, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They're now showing up as a better version of themselves that impacts positively every single person around them in their intimate relationships, in their casual relationships, in their family, in their friends, in their workplace everyone benefits. And it's part of one of the visions that I have when I, when I, when I think of this more on a global level. And of course I'm, you know, more on the micro level as one person working one-on-one with one client, but it really is a ripple effect. It's like this light starts to shine brighter in this human being, which then starts to shine brighter to other people, which then starts to shine brighter to other people. And so When you're looking at the planet, it's like all these human hearts that are more radiant. It's just bringing, you know, healing to the planet one person at a time.
0: Wow. That's (laughs) I love that the way you illustrated that. Um, So we were just speaking about the rocks that you can take out of the backpack and that they are uh, strong emotions or. Or heavy things that people have, you know, had to deal with over the course of their life. Um, what are emotions?
1: So I will answer from my limited knowledge <laughs> and experience as a clinician. And I, some might say, well, you have a lot more than this person or that person. But I will say I'm not a neuroscientist, but what I have learned, the little that I have learned about emotions is that they're actually information substances. They're physiological. So they're not just this abstract feel like just feeling that just kind of come, you know, that's it's They're actually signed. There's a scientific basis of emotions being physiological. And so um, Dr. Candace Pert was one of the forerunners, a scientist that discovered these informational substances. She has a great book called molecules of emotion that kind of dives deeper into the science of that. Um, but they, they're like these little chemical messengers and they, they interact with so many other aspects of, of our physiology, including our hormones and our neurotransmitters and, all these other elements in our system. And so I think that is probably, this is my hypothesis, is that that's the reason why physical symptoms improve sometimes significantly as a result of healing the emotions. I'll give you an example. I had a client who um, had chronic low back pain for years and he had tried all the things, physical therapy, chiropractic, changing his diet, massage, acupuncture, all the things, right? And he had heard about this different kind of practitioner. <laughs> <And> he decides <laughs> to come see me. So we, we started working with, you know, I, I told him what my, my specialty is really helping to heal the emotions. And if the physical body follows, great. Mm-hmm. Um, I never make any guarantees when someone comes with, you know, different physical ailments. Um, but I do share a lot of, you know, examples of, of what is possible. So he came to me. We did three sessions. After three sessions, he said, "I don't know how the hell this works, <laughs> but my back is eighty percent better." Wow! In three sessions, he had wow. been suffering for years. Or it was impacting his career. It was impacting the intimacy with his wife. It was impacting all these other areas of his life. You know, when someone is in chronic pain, it it is debilitating. What we worked on were some of the things that he had thought he resolved in talk therapy. But the problem is again, when we're talking about it and we put this back in our backpack, it's still in the body. We want to discharge it from the body. And so the, the specific things that we're working on were some really deep, deeply painful wounds from his childhood. And that was just aggravating the crap out of his lower back. And when we heal those things, his lower back improved significantly. That's just one of many, 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 many other examples I could give you of clients that have noticed their physical symptoms improve as a result of healing those emotions.
0: Okay. So I feel like this is a perfect segue into my next question. How, how do you heal the emotions?
1: How do I answer this? Um, I'm still a little perplexed. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be full, fully candid. I'm still a little perplexed at how this works. I mean, I can describe. In fact, I'm actually training other clinicians and I'm, I train other clinicians in the Feel Better Fast technique. And some of the questions that come up is like, "But well, actually, but what is actually working? What what is happening in the mind and the body that's creating this this radical change?" And there's still a part. And I would actually love to hire scientists that can dig in and be like, Oh, this is what's happening. I I want to know myself. I can give you a general description, but if I were to answer that question, part of my brain is still be like, yeah, but how is that working? Because even when I'm working with my clients, I'm still perplexed. Like, how is this working in a nutshell? This is, this is the best way I can describe it. We are looking at One of the emotions, or maybe even a series of emotions at a a time, based on a painful memory from their past, and I have the client relive that emotion. In other words, when when someone just even thinks about it, they're reliving it. When someone talks about it, they're reliving it. Engaging the physiology of that emotion. So my goal is to poke the bear. (laughs) My goal is to actually engage the physiology of that emotion but then give them the tools that discharges it. So rather than talking about it or thinking about it, which keeps re-engaging the physiology of those emotions, puts our body into the fight or flight response. I wanna interrupt that cycle by using the, the wisdom and insight that we have from Chinese medicine, as well as the breath. So I use these different pulse points based in Chinese medicine, coupled with the breath. It takes maybe two to three minutes on average, as they're breathing through that emotional memories or thinking about it, and it actually discharges that emotion. And it's really interesting because, you know, when I asked the, the client, like what their experience was during one session, they might have like four or five different emotions that we discharge in one session on average. And each one of those is a different experience for the client. Um, some of them, they might feel like visceral sensations in their body, they'll often feel um, that whatever that emotion is, they'll, they'll generally feel elevated. And then they'll feel doing this to the point where they can't even really connect with it anymore, because it's not there anymore. So, but I'm still, I will tell you this. This is what I do all day, every day. And I am still in my mind i'm like how the hell is that working <laughs> i'm like i mean i have a general sense but there's still like this mystery of how is this working so well so no, i get it i, get I just it. have to give you an answer
0: <laughs> i get it i mean <clears throat> i don't think i would feel any different like seeing clients come in who were troubled deeply with emotional pain if i was the one who was helping them relieve it i would still you know be like well I'm glad you feel better, but, it, you know, I didn't do anything. You know That's probably how I would feel about it. But, you know, my the therapists that I've worked with have told me that they're more of a, a guardrail, so to speak, and that I'm the one who's doing the work. So I, I can I can understand the perspective that you have and why it's still so, you know, such a wow moment to you.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I really like what what you said about um, was it a therapist or a practitioner that you were working with that described it as being a guard, a therapist. Um, because I think that that is one of the things too, that I, I think it is, even though you are the one doing the work, there's a person there holding a safe space for you. And there's something about that, that safe container. That is a what I've been finding is, is a really powerful piece to it as well um, because this feel better fast technique that I developed, I can do it on myself and I can teach people how to do it on, on themselves as well. But there's something so much more powerful when I'm in the presence of another healer who's holding space for me. So, so you are doing the healing and then couple that with someone holding that container for you. That's where I think is, you know, the, the power of a um, a deeper, a deeper healing
0: i got you um so there's a few other things that i wanted to to speak about just based off of some of um your recent posts that i've seen and um one of them is dysfunction in families and i know that that is something that is also being talked about a lot right now um and then within that topic, there's something called the, the cycle breaker. What what does it mean to you or, or what does it mean to be a cycle breaker?
1: I think what it means to be a cycle breaker is having the courage to heal the pain that they, that a person is experiencing. Because, you know, oftentimes what we'll do, and I, I've been guilty of this too, <clears throat> is we'll Point to our caregivers and be like, well, this is what happened in my childhood. This is what I got or what I did get. Um, Or we'll look at different things that happen in our environment. And those are all key components and those are all valid factors. But if we're, when we decide that we're going to make a conscious effort to take personal responsibility for who we are and how we're showing up in this world, even though we know that a lot of these painful experiences that we never asked for, that was not our fault, happened. It's, it's accepting that yes, it happened. And now what am I going to do with that? Who do I want to be as a result? How do I want to, what do I want to change? Do I want a different outcome? And when we look, when we look to our parents, for example, or caregivers, whomever kind of like the primary people that, that either took care of us or didn't take care of us. And then we look back another generation and we look at what was their upbringing like. Then we look back another generation, what was their upbringing like? We're not just unraveling the pain that we've experienced in this lifetime, but we are also carrying some of the burdens in some of these rocks that got carried down from our parents and their parents and their parents. And so I think what it, what it means to be a cycle breaker is not just to point the finger at this person, did this to me, and that person did this to me. And I'm a victim here and I'm a victim here. It's, admitting that yes when when you are a victim admitting that this bad thing happened to me and that absolutely was just so painful and so unjust and now what am i going to do to get rid of the rocks what am i going to do to get rid of the rocks and i think part of the one of the things that i always really want to encourage people with that that come to me is because sometimes what comes with that is a sense of shame like well You know, I should just have the willpower to be able to get these rocks out of my backpack. Why can't I, why can't I be better than, than my parents? Because I have always said, I will never be like them. And look, I'm repeating these same patterns. And now I'm carrying a bunch of shame about that. I think it's really important for us to have some compassion on ourselves when we begin to understand it. And this is another piece that I, that I work with my clients on too, is educating how these things work. When we have a lot of these things in our backpack that are subconscious, the emotions are are subconscious, they have the uh, whole mind of their own. So when our conscious thinking brain is like, I don't want to be like my dad, for example, when someone is saying that to themselves, I don't want to be like my dad. That's our conscious thinking brain saying, I'm going in this direction. And the charged emotions are like, no, we're going to go in this direction. 95% of the time, this wins. Until we discharge it. When we discharge it, then we can get the subconscious and the conscious thinking brain on the same page. And that's when we start having change. But knowledge is power. When we don't know that or we don't know how to do that, then we feel stuck. And then we put shame and blame on ourselves for not going in the direction that we said that we're going to go to. So that's the other part of um, what I really feel passionate about when I'm working with my clients is to... To free up that sense of shame and blame that we place on ourselves for not doing better. Because when you get the knowledge and the tools, I mean, here's the thing if we all had the tools and we all had the knowledge, well, then we'd be doing something with it and we'd have different outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not always, you know, for the lack of willpower or the lack of, you know, I'm just, not a good enough person, I guess. No, it's not about that. It's about understanding how our mind and body is connected. And when we have more of an understanding of that, and then we have the tools to learn how to change that. Cause that's the number one thing that my clients say to me is like, I know what the issue is. I just don't know how to change. I don't know how to feel better. I don't know how to generate a different outcome. Um, I think that's when we, we begin to experience a lot of freedom. Um, So does that answer your question?
0: Yes, yes, (laughs) it does. That was a great answer. Um, There was another post that I saw of yours that I wanted to ask you a question about. Um, You said, if you don't address your childhood trauma, your romantic relationships will. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah, so wherever we go, there we are. So when we have a bunch of these things that we're carrying around our backpack, our backpack is coming with us. And when we're in an intimate relationship, we are we are in close proximity with that person. Eventually our backpacks are going to be hitting each other. In other words, the, these things that we're carrying around with us are eventually going to come out. And, and the number one person that's likely to trigger us, to trigger these, these active emotions that we're carrying around are our significant others. Of course, it can be other people too. It can be people in the workplace. And um even a random stranger, but especially in romantic relationships, um, they'll, you know, actions or words or whatever it is, it'll just like trigger these things in us, and you know, it, it can be an opportunity for us to um, take a closer look at what are those things inside of us that still need to still need some healing.
0: i see um so the the backpack you know will we carry it from future or previous generations into the future with us into our romantic relationships um then it's possible that those romantic relationships won't work out or you know and, and we may lose a job because of our backpack or we just start to see that our life may begin to unravel because of the backpack and because of things that we haven't dealt with. Um, And then there's addiction. How do you see trauma and the backpack related to addiction?
1: The way that I see that correlation is a a temporary relief. So for example, if our backpack is heavy, If there's something that's going to give us a break from the backpack, in other words, where we can just take the backpack off for a couple of hours or a couple of days to give ourselves a a sense of relief and not carrying that heaviness. Oh, it's like weighing us down. Right. So we are, we're naturally going to turn to things that make us feel good. We all do this. We all want to feel better. We all want to feel good when we have these difficult things that have, that have been painful, whether we want to admit it or not, or if we're in denial or not, they're still there. The backpack is still there. And so we will turn to things that will give us a temporary fix from that or temporary relief from that. So I think that's one of the, the reasons why, you know, there's some talk about rather than shaming the addictive behavior, let's look deeper. Why are they turning to that in the first place? What is in their backpack? that they don't want to carry anymore because it's so damn heavy. What is in the backpack rather than why are they drinking? Why are they drinking? Why are they drinking? Why are they doing this? What is in the backpack that the drinking is serving? That's the number one question. When I was working in schools, one of the things that I, I did is when kids would get in fights, for example, I would not just, you know, get the story of the person who was the so-called victim. I would sit down with the person that either brought the gun to school or harassed another student or, you know, punched this other kid or threw a chair across the classroom. I wanted to know what is going on in their world. There was, there's always a function behind the behavior. And if something is going unaddressed in their backpack, they're gonna do things that they they themselves don't even want to be doing, and so there's always a deeper picture beyond just what we see in in the behavior of of addiction or violence or whatever it is that none of us want to look at, right? Um, so I think that is the the biggest connection is it's a temporary it's a temporary relief, and we can't. All of us want to do things to make ourselves feel better. Now, there are constructive ways to do that, and there are destructive ways to do that. And for some people, they go down the path of if choosing destructive things to numb that pain, to numb that pain, to numb that pain, but the backpack is still always there. And then they finally realize, oh, what I'm doing is not working. Maybe I should try something different that can actually take the weight off my backpack so it's not so heavy for me to carry um, and then this is the cool thing and this is what I've've noticed in a number of my clients who have struggled with addiction in the past when we begin to heal these things take the weight out of their backpack the need for numbing that pain is no longer there because the when the pain is gone then the need for numbing the pain gets removed. So then their compulsion to drink, to smoke, to gamble, to be addicted to pornography, whatever that is, starts to dissipate. And I've seen that a number of times. And I'm not saying that's the only reason for addiction. I don't think everything is black and white. I think there are some other, you know, maybe characteristics of addiction, but my specialty is healing emotions. And I'm, so I'm sticking in my lane. I'm just saying that when I I've helped clients heal emotions more often, like significantly often they'll even tell me that I don't have the desire to do this, this or that anymore. Like it just, it wasn't even their goal. Like I had a, I had a client who um, he was smoking weed every day for years. He had PTSD symptoms. He had um, it was the only way that he could cope with the world like the only way he could be out in public is to to use marijuana. And after two months of us working together, he's like, I don't even have the need. I don't even desire it anymore. Like using it every single day for years. And all of a sudden I just don't even desire it anymore. Because Hmm. what is driving the need for those things? When When we actually go to the root of it and we start healing the root of it, then we start to dismantle the shackles that keep us bound to this addictive substance.
0: I see. Wow, well, that's huge to be able to go from needing something uh almost every day for years to now um not needing at all. And I guess once you remove what is um making the the desire, then it then it's no longer something that you would you would need to do or crave. Which is which is great. Yeah. So I mean, it
1: kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about the, the nervous system mm-hmm. being overwhelmed, right? So when we're when we're uncomfortable in our body, even if it's something like we can't sleep at night, that can really leave us feeling so fatigued if it's happening night after night after night, and we're eventually going to turn to something. To try to help us sleep, for example. So, but what's keeping us up at night? What what's driving that for us not to be able to sleep? What's driving the feelings of anxiety? What's driving the the panic feelings? What's driving the mm-hmm. the nightmares that are waking me up and, and making me like my heart pounding and I just mm-hmm. feel like I'm gonna lose my mind? What are what's driving all those things? That's always what I'm interested in.
0: Right, the backpack
1: yes the backpack
0: <laughs> so yeah um, what i've learned and from what i've seen is that healing and and trying to get the backpack off is is really really hard work and like you said without the tools without the know-how without the knowing um you could just literally be spinning your wheels uh for years and and not knowing what, why, or how? So a question for you is with with your platform and with what you do, um, if someone wanted to know how to go about doing better, to improve their emotional health and their emotional struggles, what is some encouragement or advice that you could give someone?
1: My number one message is that healing is possible. Hmm. healing is absolutely possible. I had one client that talked about having gone to psychiatrists, social workers, therapists, all different types of practitioners um, for 30 years. Wow. And working on on treating um, trauma symptoms from her childhood as well as a lot of other stuff that came up in her adult life. She said at one point she was on 18 different medications oh my and she said that, you know, one of the things that was different about what we did together using the, the analogy of the backpack again, is that this was the description that she used, and I, and I loved it because it really was a great descriptor. She said what it felt like I was doing with, with a lot of these um, people that were trying to help me, I would go into their office and I would lay out all my dirty laundry. You know, all the things that happened to her past. And we would look at the dirty laundry and we'd talk about how it got soiled, how it got dirty, when it got dirty, who was involved, all of this. She's like, and then I would pick up all my dirty laundry and I would carry it back out with me. Mm. It was like the backpack, right? So we would talk about it and then we i pick it up and I'd carry it back out with me. and. What was happening over time in those you know 30-some years where she was seeing all these different people is then she started having um, significant chronic pain and fibromyalgia and all these other different health conditions that were that were showing up as well. And when we began working together, we were basically taking out the dirty laundry and then just she said, "For the first time, I didn't have to pick pick it back up." She's like, "I just left it there." And I'm not saying that my, my methodology is not the only methodology out there that, that helps people. There are so many other different methodologies and techniques that, that help people heal. I think that my number one message for people is that healing is possible. And if what they're, what they're, you know, trying isn't working, then try something different. And if, and if they do feel that there is, more specifically trauma or like deeply emotional pain wounds from their past. I would recommend seeking out a practitioner that has more knowledge and insight of the mind body connection and maybe might practice more of these um, maybe somatic methodologies where they're getting mm. more into the body because that's where the trauma is held or the mind body techniques like I utilize Um, So there's a number of different ways to do it, but I think that there's a, there's a reason why from what I'm finding. And again, this is just my perspective based on my experience and working with a number of different clients. There's a number, there's a reason why there's a general consensus that talk therapy is just not getting to the heart of it. And it's because in my opinion, it's because talk therapy is only getting to the conscious part of our, our brain. It's not getting to the subconscious where the emotions are, where the physio- physiological emotions are, are in our body. So, um, so finding methods that, um, that work on addressing the physiology of emotions, I think is, can be really, really helpful.
0: That was a, a wonderful explanation. And I think, Super encouraging for anybody the the dirty laundry analogy is so good. So, so good. Um, OK, so where can people find you online and on social media?
1: So my website is healthyholistics.net. And then I can be found on Instagram and TikTok at the same username. It's healthyholistics. It's the same on Instagram and TikTok.
0: Okay. Well, Lori, I want to thank you so, so much for your time and for doing this with me. Um, This was very enjoyable. And your methods and your methodology and the way you go about explaining things was just wonderful. And I'm I'm sure that um, the clients that you've helped would co-sign that. And um, I also think that anybody who is was going to have the opportunity to see this would be very grateful for what you shared as well.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's It's a pleasure.
0: Likewise, it's been a pleasure. So thank you so much, Lori.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.